0: Section Four of the Essays of Samuel Johnson. This is a LibriVox recording. or well, LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Essays of Samuel Johnson, Section Four: An Allegory on Criticism. Tuesday, March the twenty-seventh, seventeen fifty. virtus repulsae nescias sordidae in. Taminatis vulget honoribus nexumit alponit secures abitrio populares aurae Undisappointed in designs with native honours, virtue shines, nor takes up power nor lays it down as giddy rabbles smile or frown. Elphinstone. The task of an author is either to teach what is not known or to recommend known truths by his manner of adorning them either to let new light in upon the mind and open new scenes to the prospect or to vary the dress and the situation of common objects so as to give them fresh grace and more powerful attractions to spread such flowers over the regions through which the intellect has already made its progress as may tempt it to return and take a second view of things hastily passed over or negligently regarded either of these labours is very difficult because that they may not be fruitless men must not only be persuaded of their errors but reconciled to their guide they must not only confess their ignorance but what is still less pleasing must allow that he from whom they are to learn is more knowing than themselves it might be imagined that such an employment was in itself sufficiently irksome and hazardous that none will be found so malevolent as wantonly to add weight to the stone of sisyphus and that few endeavours will be used to obstruct those advances to reputation which must be made at such an expense of time and thought with so great hazard in the miscarriage and with so little advantage from the success Yet. There is a certain race of men that either imagine that their duty, or make it their amusement, to hinder the reception of every work of learning or genius, who stand as sentinels in the avenues of fame, and value themselves upon giving ignorance and envy the first notice of a prey. To these men, who distinguish themselves by the appellation of critics, it is necessary for a new author to find some means of recommendation. It is probable that the most malignant of these persecutors might be somewhat softened and prevailed on for a short time to remit their fury. Having for this purpose considered many expedients, I find in the records of ancient times that Argus was lulled by music, and Cerberus quieted with a sop and am therefore inclined to believe that modern critics who if they have not the eyes have the watchfulness of argus and can bark as loud as cerberus though perhaps they cannot bite with equal force might be subdued by methods of the same kind i have heard how some have been pacified with claret a supper and others laid asleep with the soft notes of flattery though the nature of my undertaking gives me sufficient reason to dread the united attacks of this virulent generation yet i have not hitherto persuaded myself to take any measures for flight or treaty for i am in doubt whether they can act against me by lawful authority and suspect that they have presumed upon a forged commission styled themselves the ministers of criticism without any authentic evidence of delegation, and uttered their own determinations as the decrees of a higher judicature. Criticism, footnote 1. I mentioned Mallet's Elvira, which had been acted the preceding winter at Drury Lane, and that the Honourable Andrew Erskine, Mr. Dempster and myself, had joined in writing a pamphlet entitled Critical Stricture Against It. That the mildness of dempster's disposition had however relented and he had candidly said we have hardly the right to abuse this tragedy for bad as it is how vain should either of us be to write one not near so good johnson why well, no sir this is not just reasoning you may abuse a tragedy though you cannot write one you may scold a carpenter who has made you a bad table you cannot make a table it is not your trade to make tables birkbeck hills boswell's life of johnson volume one page four o eight and a footnote criticism from whom they derive their claim to decide the fate of writers was the eldest daughter of labour and truth she was at her birth committed to the care of justice and brought up by her in the palace of wisdom being soon distinguished by the celestials for her uncommon qualities she was appointed the governess of fancy and empowered to beat time to the chorus of the muses when they sung before the throne of jupiter when the muses condescended to visit this lower world they came accompanied by criticism to whom upon her descent from her native regions justice gave a sceptre to be carried aloft in her right hand, one end of which was tinctured with ambrosia and enwreathed with the golden foliage of amaranths and bays, the other end was encircled with cypress and poppies, and dipped in the waters of oblivion. In her left hand she bore an unextinguishable torch, manufactured by labour and lighted by truth of which it was the particular quality immediately to show everything in its true form, however it might be disguised to common eyes. Whatever art could complicate or folly could confound was upon the first gleam of the torch of truth exhibited in its distinct parts and original simplicity, darted through the labyrinths of sophistry and showed at once all the absurdities to which they served for refuge it pierced through the robes which rhetoric often sold to falsehood and detected the disproportion of parts which artificial veils had been contrived to cover thus furnished for the execution of her office criticism came down to survey the performances of those who professed themselves the votaries of the muses whatever was brought before her she beheld by the steady light of the torch of truth and when her examination had convinced her that the laws of just writing had been observed she touched it with the amaranthine end of the sceptre and consigned it over to immortality but it more frequently happened that in the works which required her inspection there was some imposture attempted that false colors were laboriously laid that some secret inequality was found between the words and sentiments or some dissimilitude of the ideas and the original objects that incongruities were linked together or that some parts were of no use but to enlarge the appearance of the whole without contributing to its beauty, solidity, or usefulness. Wherever such discoveries were made, and they were made whenever these faults were committed, criticism refused the touch which conferred the sanction of immortality. And when the errors were frequent and gross, reversed the sceptre, and let drops of lethe distil from the poppies and cypress a fatal mildew which immediately begun to waste the work away till it was at last totally destroyed there were some compositions brought to the test in which when the strongest light was thrown upon them their beauties and faults appeared so equally mingled that criticism stood with her sceptre poised in her hand in doubt whether to shed lethe or ambrosia upon them these at last increased to so great a number that she was weary of attending such doubtful claims and for fear of using improperly the sceptre of justice referred the cause to be considered by time the proceedings of time though very dilatory were some few caprices excepted conformable to justice and many who thought themselves secure by a short forbearance have sunk under his scythe as they were posting down with their volumes in triumph to futurity it was observable that some were destroyed by little and little and others crushed for ever by a single blow criticism, having long kept her eye fixed steadily upon time, was at last so well satisfied with his conduct that she withdrew from the earth with her patroness Astria, and left prejudice and false taste to ravage at large as the associates of fraud and mischief. Contenting herself thenceforth to shed her influence from afar upon some select minds fitted for its reception by learning and by virtue before her departure she broke her sceptre of which the shivers that formed the ambrosial end were caught up by flattery and those that had been infected with the waters of lethe were with equal haste seized by malevolence the followers of flattery to whom she distributed her part of the sceptre Neither had nor desired light, but touched indiscriminately whatever power or interest happened to exhibit. The companions of malevolence were supplied by the Furies with a torch which had this quality, peculiar to infernal lustre, that its light fell only upon faults. No light. But rather, darkness visible served only to discover sights of woe. With these fragments of authority, the slaves of flattery and malevolence marched out, at the command of their mistresses, to confer immortality or condemn to oblivion. But this sceptre had now lost its power, and time passes his sentence at leisure. Without any regard to their determinations End of section four